Welcome to the 30th episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. On today's episode, we are featuring Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Spoilers are between the 39 and the 1 hour 24 minute marks. We have our usual discussion on characters as well as setting and what it would take to get us to stay in high place for a few weeks. We also go deeper into the book and explore some of our own ideas into the motivations of certain characters and have no idea how far off we probably are. We finish with our usual segments, so with that, let's hear it. Well, Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do when you share such love? Well, you start a club, you start a club, an adult book club, an adult book club, and a podcast. Welcome to the 30th episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell and she is Taja. Howdy. Howdy and welcome back and thank you for coming back. We'd like to start this episode by apologizing for the effects of jet lag (laughs) and drinking too much alcohol before we start recording a podcast because there was countless errors in the last episode, uh, which hopefully you picked up on and hopefully gave you a good laugh. I will tell you, we do know the difference between a prologue and an epilogue. We do actually read books. Thank God this book didn't have either of those, so it will not confuse us this go around. Yep. Yup. And speaking of the book, the book we are focusing on today is going to be Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Uh, but before we get into the book, it has been two weeks. We have seen each other quite a bit, but let's catch everybody else up on. Taja, what have you been doing? I've been uh, obviously working, which is most of what I do. Um, got to spend some time with you and the rest of the weird family, or not the rest of, some of the weird family. Last weekend, um, did some more glamping because we don't really camp anymore. Let's be real. And it was great. It was a good time. It was hot as balls, though. Really, really, really hot, which is great compared to some of the times we've been glamping when it has not been hot. So I don't know. Maybe I just need to stop complaining about all the scenarios and just (laughs) live in the moment. There's like those five to 10 degrees where it's perfect, but you rarely hit that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a sweet spot that Mother, Mother Nature is like, I'm not going to let you have that. I will say, though, this last time was nice compared to some other gatherings we've had. It had been so dry that the river was really low and so dry that there was an abundant lack of mosquitoes, which I don't think is the appropriate way to say that. But there were very few mosquitoes and it was awesome. And that is huge for me because they love me and I would have gotten annihilated. So it was really nice to not have to deal with that on top of being sweaty and hot all the time. I will say it was a lovely weekend uh, getting to spend time with each other, getting to do some water sports to try to stay cool is always Mm -hmm. an added benefit of super hot weather. And then just drinking and hanging out and enjoying our time is always fun. Uh, I am now up in Maine with more of our weird family as we are doing kind of another camping type setup uh, here at our friend Matt's family home. So very exciting. If you do notice the quality of recording is a little off. Hey, blame Elon Musk because I'm on his internet. So we'll see what happens with that. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm at home all by myself. Oh, 
Yeah. That's my soundtrack for the weekend. That's um, fair. I do have a lot of sewing projects to get through, though, so I'm sure I'll be busy. Got to get on that Dragon Con cosplay. Cosplay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how it turns out. We will see how it turns out. Yeah, aside from that, nothing really going on. There hasn't really been anything else to do. It's, it was camping and then sweating because it was like 95 degrees in New Hampshire and now mm-hmm. more camping. So it's been a quick two weeks. I will say we both kind of pushed it to the limit on getting this book finished, but we did. Oh, manage, yeah, I finished it this morning. And I finished it yesterday. So but we did manage mm-hmm. to get it done. I, mm-hmm. I will say for me, I always try to plan to finish the book close to the podcast so I don't start another book because as I've said before, I can't read two books at once. So if I had that, I would get confused. I get confused enough, as you know. Prologue, epilogue, whatever. Whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. So before we get into the book, though, this is your bi-weekly reminder to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I say it every time that we will try to get better at posting stuff. We continue to not get better at posting stuff. We continue to not get better at posting stuff moving forward. I'm sure it okay. won't happen. But that just means you can follow us there and we won't bother you much. So uh, feel free to go. find us on Instagram or Twitter. We're at Adult Book Club 21. It's all one word, Adult Book Club 21. I will say something we skipped over as a podcast. We have our first swag coming <gasps> soon. Swag, stuff we all get. Uh, so we have these lovely shirts that Amanda made for us and our lovely logo that she made for us for Christmas. And now we are bringing to you the Keep Reading shirt, which is super exciting. And you can tell how much Amanda listens to the show, because when I showed her the mock-ups for it, she goes, keep reading. Is that something you say a lot? And I was like, I I hate you so much. That's rough. I mean, when I asked Barry if he wanted a shirt, he said no. So... Same, same boat. Also actually, support well on that front. Yeah, Amanda did take a shirt. We'll see if she actually wears it, though. I mean, that's the true test. But... We'll be posting about those when we get there you them. Go. Um, and we did get a couple extras. If anybody listening actually is interested in wearing some swag, let us know. So. Yeah. Uh, holler at us. You know, <laughs> slide into our DMs or something. Is that what the kids say? <laughs> slide into our book Is that DMs. sexual? I don't yes. Know. No, I don't know. We're we're in our <laughs> 30s. Nothing sexual anymore. Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, So let's get away from that topic and move into the book. Uh, So again, the book is Mexican Gothic by Silvia Morena Garcia. Uh, Mexican Gothic was her fourth book and was released in June 2020. It has already been picked up to be turned into a limited series for Hulu, assuming that is still happening as it seems like TV shows and movies are getting dropped left and right from production. But uh, that is what Wikipedia said, which is the only type of research we do on this show. <laughs> which is always accurate. Always. Absolutely no disinformation on Wikipedia. Always totally accurate. Factual. So with that, Taja, would you like to read us the jacket? I would love to. From the author of Gods of Jade and Shadow comes a reimagining of the classic Gothic horror novel, a story about an isolated mansion in 1950s Mexico and the brave socialite drawn to its treacherous secret. After receiving a frantic letter from her newlywed cousin, Nomi Taboada heads to High Place, a distant house in the Mexican countryside. Nomi is an unlikely rescuer. She's a glamorous debutante, more suited for cocktail parties than amateur sleuthing. But she's also tough, smart, and not afraid. 
not of her cousin's new English husband, a stranger who is both menacing and alluring, not of his father, the ancient patriarch who seems fascinated by Nomi, and not even of the house itself, which begins to invade Nomi's dreams with visions of blood and doom. Nomi's only ally is this, in this inhospitable place, is the family's youngest son, but he too may be hiding a dark secret. As Novi begins to unearth stories of violence and madness, she is slowly drawn into a terrifying yet seductive world that may be impossible to escape. Awesome. Very well done, as always. So we start with... Thanks, um, I did not write it. As we do with all of these things, we let you know that our pronunciations may have issues. So please do not get mad at us for that. We're doing the best we can. I did Google speech this. and Oh, yeah, please tell me what it's supposed to be. So her name is No Emmy. Yeah, no Emmy. No Emmy. Uh, but I was saying... Well, I like Nomi, so... So it's going to happen, folks. Uh, and I was saying her last name, Taboada. Like, because it's Boa in the middle. Taboada. I have no idea, though. Yeah, I don't either. I was saying Taboada, but that's probably wrong. <laughs> so. I have no... I mean, I did take Spanish classes in high school, but that means nothing. That means nothing. So Naomi Tabadoa shows a lot of characteristics that spurned how women were seen and expected to act in the 1950s. What did you make of her as we got to know her? Um, I really liked her strong female lead vibes because that's kind of my Jimmy Jams. I appreciated that she was such a... I don't want to say necessarily a contradiction. You know, she was like really interested in learning and going to university but also is really interested in like partying and being like a freewheeling lady and I like both of those things but I feel like you typically aren't gonna find them in the same character so I thought that was kind of cool um I also liked that she's a clever person like she had a lot of knowledge that I think most people upon looking at her would not expect her to have and I also really appreciate that kind of sneak up on your smarts i think that's really fun especially in a strong female lead yeah i mean there were some bits about her kind of i don't want to call it flippant attitude because like i'm not 100 percent sure i would be very well composed in her shoes you know given the situation at high place but there were some moments where i was like girl you are making this harder on yourself <laughs> and again i also feel like It'd be hard not to be kind of snarky, especially given that that's like her usual response to things. But yeah, I mean, I think overall, I I really liked her as a character. Um, we talked about this a bit before we started recording, but like gothic tropes, gothic novels, gothic whatever art is not really a thing that I'm super familiar with. Um, so I don't know how well this tracks but I like it if this is like an accurate representation of that kind of thing I think I'd be interested to find some other other stuff yeah that was interesting and it was something that came up in my discussion with Nern shout out Nern as she had also read this book and she was talking about how much she enjoys gothic tropes and those kind of stories and I was like this is my first experience reading it for sure I can think of some other shows and things like that that I've watched that have that gothic trope and I will say like I was reading this and I was kind of putting it up there with Gallant with that kind of idea of this like unwelcoming house and it's you're not really sure there's a lot of mysteries mm -hmm. uh, surrounding it there wasn't that like you know uh, 
super sexual, handsome man who has a dark side kind of situation in Gallant there because they were all family. And unlike the Doyles, that family remained separate. But those were the feelings. Those are the feelings I was getting for it as I was reading it. But getting back to Naomi specifically or Noemi specifically, I really appreciated her character because she did shuck those norms and she wasn't afraid to be outspoken and all that. But you saw how it could still draw her back, especially in her conversations that happen mm-hmm. at High Place, where she would be like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, this is me, this is I'm stubborn and I'm I'm going against what you expected me. And then they kind of are like, well, you should be more reserved or you should be about that. And like sometimes she does bite back and sometimes she doesn't because it's like her really fighting with with that expectation of women at that time compared to how she would actually like to carry herself. So I appreciated that. We saw that struggle through the book too. It wasn't just like I'm bullheaded and stubborn and I get everything no matter what, like she still was dealing with that even with her strong personality. So I think that brought the believability to it as we, you know, then we got into ghosts and spirits and a whole lot of other jazz that made a little less believable, but I, I thought her as a character was somebody that you could definitely see. Um, definitely seemed like a person who was out of their time. Like she mm. would do so much better nowadays than back in the fifties, obviously mm. with more supposed freedoms that, that women have. I will say <laughs> one thing that got me with her. And again, I think it's just her having to deal with the, what's expected of her, but she was like super flaky and undecided. And she talks about that with her career, how she's that way. And how like, this is like now anthropology is like the third or fourth thing she wanted to study. And she thinks she's going to stick with it this time, but she's definitely been kind of like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. And like that again, gives you realism. It's another thing where you have to remember, this is like somebody in their early twenties. And that's like how everyone is, you know, we all go to college thinking we're going to do one thing and how many majors change as soon as you realize Mm -hmm. what you're actually doing, Mm -hmm. you know? So I do get that to a point. I brought up the realism, but I did think there's a lot of times where that indecision, if she was more decisive, maybe would have helped her as the story progressed. Whereas that indecision, I think definitely hurt her from time to time. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also kind of her indecision about her like career choices or or education choices or whatever she wants to do with the rest of her life kind of thing gave me a lot of like not necessarily only daughter but like daughter of a very rich man she was pretty privileged in that like I I don't want to call her a a princess but I feel like she has a lot of privilege I guess in that she like can choose to switch her majors or can choose to change completely the course of what her life is going to be and maybe she has to fight for it with her dad a little bit you know and do some convincing I mean but at the same time it's not as though she's in a scenario akin to Francis where there are no options and she has to be which I feel like a lot of women in her in her not position but you know what I mean like in her a lot of her peers might not be in the position she's in to make those decisions for herself and have them be respected or or allowed you know yeah she had a lot more opportunities because of their financial standing yes. for sure and I believe she did have a brother too um but her family history yeah I thought got it was me a, a couple brother. times yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely like, she did have to rich girl whine to her dad if she wanted him to pay for university, but it wasn't like they were going to go hungry because they were paying for university. So there was definitely some of that tied into her as well. 
and the way that she like treated or looked upon her suitors or like there was a moment when she was kind of talking about a sort of like self-reflective moment where she was like generally speaking you know I like to not play around it wasn't like she was a loose lady or anything um because she's heavily catholic but at the same time she was like playing with their emotions and then realizing a little bit for herself that it wasn't it was more like her own fear keeping her from settling down so to speak or like really looking at what it is she wants in a partner and I just thought that was like a cool little self-reflective moment yeah and I think she knew that it was she was just playing playing the field really where it was like oh Hugo Mm. is like nice to look at and fun to dance but he's quite a bore you know and I'm sure he's probably on to somebody else by now (laughs) I missed our piano recital we were supposed to go to so Hugo has moved on so yeah I did I did Mm -hmm. appreciate that growth in her as well as we see her kind of like being completely out of her element in high place and having to think more about survival maybe for a change rather than just what nice dress we're wearing today yeah (laughs) so speaking of high place that is where 95 percent of the book takes place i would say high place is the ancestral home of the doyles and is where naomi uh goes to find her cousin catalina and see what she has been dealing with and these horrors that she talks about uh the ghosts traveling through the walls and the walls talking to her so she goes to see what is happening to her cousin in her new marriage so full of sarcasm high place seems like a fun place so fun we should definitely airbnb that shit obviously i'm pretty sure it's quite reasonable um what did you think of high place as we got to know it for its lovely charm yeah i thought i mean really interesting in that it wasn't like a typical ghost story like you know a little missed vision of some dead person. It was like way more involved um, and way more like layered. And I don't know, sort of like not really sci-fi because I feel like it has a lot of like actual scientific connections. It's a place I don't ever want to be. I'm going to put it that way. It's freaking terrifying. The big thing that gets me is there's certain creature comforts that aren't even considered creature comforts anymore that we just expect. And one of them for me is not being damp. <laughs> like the fact that Oh they, my gosh, that whole place is damp. It's so damp. And that's just how she constantly described it. It's damp. It smells mildewy. It's moldy. There's mold all over the wallpaper. There's like the these nice um uh hangings that are now just full of mold and gross and like she talks about all this different stuff and a it's library like, full of moldy books oh the poor books don't do that to them i know uh, but it was just one of those things that i'm like thinking of being there and like just tactilely i wouldn't touch anything like ugh. i was just gonna say this is a no touching place for <laughs> sure i also thought it was interesting in like a terrifying way how I think the first night she's there she tries to like smoke in her room and tries to open the window and like nothing opens like that is a huge red flag yeah <laughs> like, like this is prison if this is not a like 
a prison. I don't know what is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I will say that's like, even that simple comfort of a breeze, you know, it's like, no, nah, you can't have that. You can't have that. And for the people that Let haven't alone, read. Like, electricity. Yeah, no. Like, and that was one thing too. It was like 1950s. Did really people have electricity? Apparently they did. Unless you were here, you were still dealing with sconces and candles and oil lamps. The common things like you said that we're used to, like being able to walk into a room and flip on a light. I mean, that comes up a couple of times for, you know, I mean, like having to get somewhere and it being just like pitch dark and she has no, no light source, like in a, in a damp prison. No, thanks. Yeah. Again, in, on walls, you don't want to touch with your hand. You're now having to use your hands to like lead you places like forget that. And for people who haven't read the book, like this is once a place of grandeur that has fallen into decay. Like it's the ancestral home that doesn't have enough people living in it anymore. They don't have enough money to keep enough staff on anymore. So it's just rooms that are just covered in dust. Furniture is all covered with stuff, but, you know, also there's just this inherent wetness. They talk about the mist, which I think is a gothic theme. The mist, it seems like mist is always surrounding because it adds to the mystery. The mystery. Yeah. Uh, So that's always just hanging around as well, kind of getting into the walls and all that. So for me, it's like, I couldn't get past that the house has like, yeah, that house, like you said, you know, they, the family's money has all dried up and they don't have the staff they once used to have and like you totally got the vibe that it was really like not cared for or not kept up like it should have been but at the same time like there is some onion layered shit going on with this house yo yeah there's definitely i liked that there's a lot of like hints at greater mystery as this was going on but mm-hmm. also that horror aspect at well that lended it to. So it's not just your typical thriller or something like that. You have that like underlining or underlying darkness that, you know, is going to pop its uh, ugly head out at some point. Another yep. thing I, I wanted to point out that I think would be my most problematic with High Place is they talk about Howard, Howard Doyle, who is like the the ancestral ancestral owner. That's our uncle Howard. That's grandfather, whatever. And he because of him and his very delicate hearing there's like no talking and this like the dampness maybe i can just not touch walls no talking all right bye i'm out (laughs) the whole vibe was massively creepy it's it's like the complete opposite is the point yeah it's the complete opposite of what you'd actually look for in something welcoming and that's again kind of like pulling the gallant into this like that's how her cousin Mm. treated her when she got to gallant but like she at least had the wait staff there that would take care of her and look after her and everything that's true here you didn't even have the wait staff they like wouldn't they like had been broken down by so many years of service they like wouldn't make eye contact they wouldn't talk to you like nothing no matter how hard noemi tried there was like nobody there to talk to and these people when she gets there she has these expectations that she's going to be able to sit with her cousin and learn what's wrong and i'm going to help her out and all this stuff and people are going to be receptive of me coming because virgil her husband had talked to naomi's father and knew she was coming and all this so she expects she's walking into a different scenario than what she ends up walking into but we get to know the residents and the mysteries of high place what or who stood out to you between this group of family members, Howard, Florence, Francis, and Virgil. 
Um, Howard's freaking disgusting. I cringe, just so terrible. Virgil is also cringy, but for like a very different reason. I do not like his like rape-tastic vibes. That is so uncool. Florence is a cunt. And uh, <laughs> and Francis is great. Francis is a little gem. I love him. Just like his whole like naturalist vibes. Like I'm gonna draw all these glorious pictures of mushrooms and plants and I'm gonna press flowers and then I'm just gonna be your only friend. I love him. Yeah, I will say we have to pause to respect the fact that I believe you just dropped the first hard C-bomb of the podcast ever. So 30 episodes in, buckle up, kids. Is that Have I not said it before? I don't think so. That was a very It's accurate, though. She's terrible. It's very true. Yes. No, Florence is the worst. And again, walking into this, Naomi, like, doesn't understand why they're this way to her. Uh, and that was kind of the most frustrating part too. And Florence has been caring for the house for so long that she's the one with the rules and you can't, you know, you can't smoke in the house. You can't talk too loudly or talk at all. Really. Uh, you can't take the car to the village. You can't do this, that, and the other thing. It's like very just strict and regimented and like zero fun having allowed. So Florence definitely fit into that role. Noemi used to go to Catholic school. Like she's used to strict and this is like a next level, next level strict bitch. And she talks about how like, she's like, there's not even a radio. Like there's not a grammar phone. Like yeah. what I wouldn't give for some music right now. And like, it just, again, adds to kind of that overall dreariness of high places. We're getting to know it, getting to sink into its moldy, wet cushions. Uh, uh, gross. I- as you were saying, I do think it was a good juxtaposition between Howard and Virgil, where Howard is physically disgusting. And we touched on this before, where like reading it, reading horror, reading anything like that, that I feel like the authors always feel they need to go above and beyond to really make sure you get the picture. Whereas with uh, movies and stuff like that, they can kind of just do whatever they want. They're, they'll show it to you. And like, maybe it's like a gruesome blood splash or whatever but at least it's not like let me make sure you know how disgusting these black sores on his body are let me go into more and more depth and more and more and they're like okay i've had enough but the author doesn't hear you and they're like and here's some more as well here's some pustules for you i just want to point out that in my mind howard is a representation of Virgil's potential evolution. Howard, like you're saying, is physically disgusting and Virgil is morally disgusting. But I also feel like Howard 1000% is also morally disgusting. I mean, he like effectively forced himself onto Nomi as well. And I imagine when he was a spry younger gentleman, he did some really cringy rapey shit. The Doyles on the whole can and they're massively racist and i'm not here for that either yeah it was that's i was working that's what i was kind of getting at like virgil you see him and he's like this sculpted from marble beautiful man like picturesque all this bullshit charmer but when he shows that real side of himself you see he is just as ugly as howard is like you were saying and then howard Howard shows himself to be ugly in all ways, as you were saying as well. And yeah, it's just very aggressive how the tones of genetics and how he was talking about lesser beings and lesser people and how 
fucking piece of shit they were towards the villagers and basically everyone. I mean, they brought from England, they brought their own soil because they didn't believe the soil in Mexico would be good enough to, to you know, bear their flowers and all that bullshit. So these are incredibly elitist, incredibly super racist douchebags. I mean, yeah, it's a like serious, like blatant colonizer BS, which I suppose is kind of the point. But I appreciated that it <laughs> that it was so under your skin nasty because that is kind of kind of the point yeah and that's on another thing too with then looking at francis i think that's the interesting thing where it was that physical representation of Mm -hmm. francis as well where he was 10 years younger than virgil but because of how the house is set up and you don't leave the house those are the rules like his only companion was virgil so he is always matched himself to him and and weighed how he is compared to Virgil. So not Naomi talks about his looks all the time and how Francis kind of looks sheepish and drawn and not really what you would consider attractive. attractive. And he's got like, you know, the blonde hair and the blue eyes that the family have and the crystal, you know, uh, porcelain white skin. Yeah. He's got the Doyle look, but he doesn't carry it the way Virgil does. And then you also have how Francis treats her, which was part of, um, this question too i want to know as we're getting to know francis do you trust him at all or do you like are you sitting there like obviously there's a lot of things going on in this house that we're trying to piece together and and figure out what's real and what's not real and what's happening did you what were your initial feelings on francis as as we're getting to become quote-unquote friends with him did you think that was genuine i trusted him implicitly from the beginning which maybe shows my naivete But, but there was like i think because the physical and sort of, I guess I'll just say moral differences between him and Virgil or him and the rest of the family were so pointed and obvious. Like you, like you said, with the physical descriptions, like she says it a few times, her impressions of, of Francis and his looks and, and all this just being so different, A, from what she's generally attracted to and B, from how Virgil looks essentially who's like the epitome of the Doyle physicality and would generally be considered attractive but I also felt like there were moments that they had where you know and then maybe it's because she it was from her sort of perspective or her view of him being like she gave him or he gave her a genuine smile or a genuine laugh whereas like everyone else either didn't freaking smile or laugh or was a total sleazeball about it and like there was something at one point with like Virgil's eyes like they're generally really blue but then all of a sudden they were gold and she was all like this is sketchy and that never happened with Francis so yeah I trusted him from the get-go and I knew that he was I knew that he was different because they they really shoved that on that he was so different and I was thankful to know that he wasn't like that I wasn't distracted by all of that in in the wrong way. Yeah. And I think the big thing for me was she gets into spats with Virgil and then the next time she sees him or the next day, he'll do the, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I lost my tone with you. I shouldn't have spoke to you that way kind of thing. And it just seems so like fake. That's such an abuser thing to do too, to be like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Absolutely. And then she even I I think there's one time where like he uh, flips the switch again back the other way after he apologizes. Like she says something he's like, well, go fuck yourself kind of situation. So like he's showing how how 
not genuine that is and that's what brought me more towards francis where i'm like okay like he gives her his sweater right because she's cold and i'm like okay that seems genuine is there a listening device in the sweater i don't think so okay we're gonna look <laughs> uh, so i was definitely <clears throat> maybe still a little bit more cautious than you but definitely felt that francis was trustworthy and was hoping i was right on that i have two things that i wanted to point out about francis too like with the whole the genuine aspect like how he gives her the sweater and does all this stuff like I also feel like I trusted him right from the get-go because the rest of the family shat on him if like if he was like one of the group or like somebody that they showed actual respect to or whatever I would have been a little bit more hesitant to to trust him so completely because he wasn't necessarily then an outsider he would have been one of the family but in my mind I saw him as like this total black sheep who didn't fit who was unloved and so I trusted him more also and this is a little bit later on in the book so it's not like at this point I'd already formed my opinion of him but he's like the only person there that speaks Spanish everyone else because Howard must only speak English and can't be bothered to learn the freaking native language of the place he lives that just endeared me or dear endeared him to me more is that he did that because like that's comes into play later and it also shows that he one cares about the locals around him but also that he had that willing to willingness to learn like he still wanted to branch out he still wanted to have that adventure and was seeking more than what was just given to him well and that's something too that i really appreciated about him and what i think like the connection between him and Noemi like made a lot of sense because he was so not necessarily, well, I guess to a certain extent envious of her for being, having been out in the world and being to the city and like getting to live the life she's lived. And because Virgil and his mom had gone out and done that and he hadn't had that opportunity. And I just like his desire or interest in places other than high place definitely was a plus that was like a top shelf reason to trust him <laughs> right yeah exactly did you have anything else on francis i might have cut you off before you got to your second point there no the second point was the spanish thing okay cool didn't know i just love him so then before we get to spoilers as we've been kissing a couple here already we have your get to know your podcaster moment so naomi's father uses her desire to continue her education at university as a bribe to get her to go to high place and check on catalina Without getting into too many spoilers, but knowing what you mm -hmm. know about High Place. So having read this, what would it take to get you to spend three weeks at High Place? What bribe? Knowing what I know about High Place, there would be no reason to be there. No good enough reason to be there. Not money. I, I mean, you $10 million. So... Here's the thing, is knowing what I know, $10 million wouldn't necessarily mean shit. I'm just saying, the only thing that I think would get me there would be loads of money and, like, an insurance policy of, like, having somebody like Noemi, who came to rescue her cousin, coming to rescue me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I would need to have an out. There's got to be an out clause for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, I, I mean, I, knowing what I know, being like, well, you get to stay here for three weeks would, no, it's not going to be three weeks. <laughs> 
And I do wonder, it's so interesting when you do thought experiments like this, whether you're talking about vacation or you're talking about a difficult time you're going to go through or, you know, a, a time where you're going to be dealing with a lot. You're like, okay, I've just got to get through this next month. I've just got to get through the next year, whatever, no matter how long it is. When you're in that time, it will always last so much longer and be so much worse as you're being haunted and having to touch moldy wallpaper and smell mildewy books. And then you look back on it and be like, and what like three maybe weeks is it having, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly, like knowing if I, if I went into it with the same knowledge that Noemi had gone into it, it probably would have taken me similar to what it did for her, you know, an agreement from her father for the thing that she wanted. Totally enough. Knowing what I know, zero things, zero <laughs> things would get me there. How about you? I will say, while well, I was enjoying the um, local greenery up here in Maine, I had this wonderful mm. idea that I can't share because it's a billion dollar oh, idea. Boy. But just know, oh, I have a great boy. idea. It needs a lot of monetary backing to get started. If you back that project, I will go stay at High Place for three years. Or sorry, three, yeah, three years. Fuck no. Three weeks for sure. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> three years, no way. Okay. Yeah, but we're, we're talking about three millions, months, millions three of dollars. Weeks. Three weeks. And, and like, like you said, there is an escape clause. I think I would have a monetary monetary compensation would be necessary but not without an escape clause or an escape freaking rescuer a hero, a hero to come and save me and i do think i that need a hero i actually hate that song i almost started singing it it's almost twice yeah, this thank you for not singing it I will say, even if it was another place that wasn't high place, and they were just like, this is an ancestral home up in the mountains of this, they used to own a silver mine that's no longer, you know, has money in it. Do you want to live there? I think even without it being high place, I would still be like, no. <laughs> Especially if they said something like, do you want to come live in our damp home? Mm, our damp, damp home. It's got the damp. I mean, it has like, I mean, there is mold to the nth degree. So on that note, yeah, I mean, maybe we could talk. How about that? We'll leave it at that. But now we're going to get into the reasons why maybe it's going to take more than twisting our arm to get us to go to high place. So with that, we are going to start spoilers. So here is your song. This is the pot that we're going into spoilers. If you don't know the book, get out. Because this is the part that we're going into spoilers. It's time to learn what Hapless is all about. Spoilers! Noemi quickly learns that all is not as it seems at High Place. She is met with hostility by almost every member of the household and is kept to strict rules about what she can and cannot do, when she can leave, her smoking, and when she can actually visit with her cousin. She is struggling along, trying to get her cousin the help she needs, when suddenly she begins to hear voices, have intense nightmares, and begins sleepwalking again, which she hadn't been doing since she was a child. During the few trips to town she is able to make, Noemi talks to some locals, and she learns the bloody history of High Place, with multiple outbreaks having killed many of the workers in the mines, and also the Doyle family's past when Virgil's sister, Ruth, killed multiple family members and then herself one night. 
She also smuggles in a tincture from a local medicine woman, but when Catalina takes it, she starts convulsing and having a seizure. Life continues to get harder for Naomi after that, as the Doyles seem to team up on her, all except Francis, who seems to be her friend, but at this point, Noemi has no idea who she can trust. Eventually, she decides she must leave and try and convince a psychiatrist to come back with her to help Catalina. The Doyles agree to let her go, but not before they have one more awkward family dinner. After dinner, they bring her up to Howard's room to say goodbye. While there, she is forced to her knees in front of Howard's dilapidated body, and then he puts his lips to hers, and a black liquid is forced into her mouth. This was a very disgusting scene. After so an- gross. So gross. After a night of vomiting and visions mm-hmm. where she sees a young Howard Doyle finding a cure-all mushroom that he manipulates into a sort of immortality, Francis finally comes clean to her. The Doyle family serve the house, and the house serves them as well in a symbiotic relationship. The house is constantly releasing spores of the mushroom. It is in the air, in the food, it is in everything. And the more of the mushroom you ingest, the more control the house has over you. At this point, Noemi can no longer leave because the house physically will not let her if she tries to escape. She also learns that Howard's body is dying and that the family is preparing Virgil's body to accept his soul so the old man can continue on. This is a cycle that has been repeating in the Doyle family for centuries and is the reason Howard believes the bloodline needs to remain as pure as possible with as many incestuous relationships in the past, keeping the present Doyle's connection to the mushroom and high place as strong as possible. But they have been struggling with the fallout of that quote unquote pure bloodline as they haven't been able to produce children this last generation. And because of that, the family and Howard has allowed the children to bring strangers in. This is why Virgil took Catalina, and now they want Noemi to give herself to Francis. But Francis agrees to help her escape, and by giving her and Catalina small doses of the tincture that he saved from being thrown out, he is able to break them away from the house somewhat. Noemi agrees to go along with the charade and marriage as Francis plans their escape. The night of the marriage, Francis and Noemi are separated, and Virgil tries to rape Noemi. She fights back and knocks him unconscious and goes to find Catalina. As they try to escape, they are stopped by Florence and brought back to Howard, all the Doyles in one room. With the help of Mm -hmm. Francis again, Noemi manages to get them out of the room, but not before firing multiple rounds into Howard's body. As they escape through the back door, Francis brings them down into the cellar and then through tunnels to the cemetery where Noemi is confronted by Howard's first wife, Agnes, who is the brain center for the mushroom clusters and the house. Noemi realizes that the buzzing she has heard throughout the house is actually Agnes screaming as some part of her remains alive and in total pain. Noemi breaks an oil lamp over her and a fire breaks out that she, Catalina, and Francis barely escape. The book ends with Noemi waiting for Francis to wake up in the town hospital. When he does, she promises to take him to Mexico City with her. Francis is worried that a piece of high place still lives inside of him, but Noemi refuses to abandon him and admits that she has fallen in love. So as the history of the Doyles and High Place is shown to us in multiple different ways, either by the village people telling us their secrets, by the visions that they have, as Noemi <laughs> talks about people. the village people, nice, uh, the visions that Noemi <laughs> has uh, and the dreams that she has, where she actually thinks she talks to some of these people, what did you make of their history and what did you, what were some of the things that stood out or, you know, that you thought maybe didn't make sense, et cetera? Okay, so like specifically with the, can you ask the question again? I was writing a note and I don't want to like answer part of 
what you just said. So the biggest thing is, that's fine. The biggest thing is like, what did you think as we learned more from the village people, not the band, and her visions, her dreaming, as we learned more about the Doyles and the history of High Place, what were some of the things that stood out to you? What were some of the things that uh, you thought either like made sense or that you didn't like or that confused you, whatever, kind of as we got the whole picture, as the pieces were fitted together, what were the things that stood out to you? So how massively, I guess, masterful it was to have like the house be sort of like a, its own character, which granted there's all sorts of other, I mean, like Gallon, the house kind of has its own thing too, but certainly not in like a sentient way. And I think that that was really cool and not necessarily something I was expecting like in terms of layers. I totally got that creepy vibe from the Doyles, but then how the fact that like the spores were in the house and you were breathing it in, sure, the Doyles were also poisoning you, but you also just like living in that damp were getting it, which totally makes sense. But that was like a very nicely done presenting of how freaking creepy it is that this house was like the the manifestation of you know a giant mushroom hive mind thing one thing so I just I wrote this down just now and like I don't know if this is the appropriate question to touch base on this but this was something that kind of bugs me about the whole like concept if if Agnes is like the mother and they the Doyles did this like terrible thing to her they buried her alive and it was just gnarly and she's clearly in pain like you said the buzzing of like her screaming and stuff like she was put there to be a tool I get that but like if she's the one that is the brain so to speak of the mushroom why is she doing what why is she helping the Doyles why isn't she like going against the thing like Howard and like I guess like who controls who here like is Agnes just like a cog in the machine I because I get the impression that she's like the heart I mean I know we said it the brain but you get what I'm saying like if she's the brain you'd think that that she would be fucking pissed and be like no strangers who are being treated, mistreated, like I was mistreated, let me help you. Why is that not a thing? So they talk about the gloom, right? They bring this up. And that's basically where these dreams are happening, where this hive mind is. They call it the gloom. And that's where like the memories of the departed also live in there. So I didn't know if that was the helps house helping that her. Like the fact that she was sending Ruth to Naomi in her dreams, being like, hey, like, Here's someone else who figured it out okay. as well. If you haven't read the book, the family tree is legitimately a stick that sticks straight forward. So Howard, my understanding, and this is kind of where I wanted to go with this question too, was I was confused on this. My understanding was Howard came to this village because there was a mine there. But what he discovered was that there was this cure-all mushroom, mushroom that was being protected by the locals and this priest. And this is the vision Noemi has. And he takes this mushroom and heals himself from some sickness that he had. He then kills the priest and kind of takes over this religious thing, takes a wife from there. 
but she doesn't work out for him. So he eventually decides to go back to England to get his two sisters, Agnes. And I believe Alice was the other one. And he brings them Mm -hmm. back. He marries Agnes because Alice is like eight or so years younger. Agnes quote unquote dies in childbirth in year one. We learn though, that she was actually buried alive in the mushroom to give them a mind to this house, to try to make the house smarter and the mushroom more poignant because he's not worried about cure-alls. He's trying to find immortality. He then marries Alice, the other sister, and that's where he starts having kids from. My confusion there and with some of the other things too is Francis keeps talking. Like I took that line from the book, like we serve the house and the house serves us. So there is a symbiotic relationship, but I don't get, like you're saying, why Agnes would be a part of that. Like she is being wronged. You would think she would be driving more people to like light fires and burn her down. Like uh, unless she is also experiencing some sort of immortality there. But if you're in an immortality of screaming, I think you'd want something different. Okay. Here's a couple of thoughts that I had just now in this moment. One is that possibly... Agnes has wanted to do that, to tell people about how to destroy her, them, it, but she hasn't been able to because almost everybody there is a straight full-on Doyle, and Catalina and Francis's father and Ruth's betrothed or boyfriend or guy she wanted to marry who I actually don't recall. I don't know that he actually spent any real time in high face. I think like they got rid of him right quick. He was a minor, but the miners were yeah. also introduced to the mushroom. So he did in have some that experience same, with it. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, but then like, I guess what I'm thinking is that maybe Agnes has wanted to do this for a while, but it needs, she needs like far removed Doyle blood or like that compatibility that they kept talking about. Yes. She needs a hero. (laughs) She does. But also, that brings me to my second point, is that maybe she really was, as you kind of alluded to, helping Noemi a little bit, and maybe even Catalina, like, how did Catalina find Ruth's journals? Like, all this other stuff that, like, maybe Catalina, not, not for nothing is maybe just not a strong enough person like Noemi was. So it didn't like come to fruition to do what she needed to do. But the voice that Noemi kept hearing saying, open your eyes for a long time. I thought that was Ruth, but it must not have been. It must've been Agnes being like, hello. Yeah. And that was an interesting situation. A couple points that you're now making me think of. So one, they mm-hmm. talk about how they want to now include Noemi into the family because the gloom and the mushroom have such a connection with her so maybe that was kind of what you're saying where agnes couldn't really get through to catalina and they talk about that with the miners too like the whole epidemics that were happening were because the the mushroom isn't for everyone and it can kill you so all these miners would die they would say it was like some viral outbreak and then again they would bury them uh, to feed the mushroom, they called them mulch because, again, they're disgusting people. But that connection wouldn't be stable enough. And so that does kind of make sense what you're saying. Whereas Ag- if Agnes was waiting for somebody to help her, maybe that makes sense for why Noemi has such a strong connection that everyone even sees it. And then also on that point, I kind of thought at the end, the two servants who remain are blocking the main staircase down. So I assume that was Howard trying to stop them running away. But maybe that was Agnes stopping them to run away because then it would lead them to her 
through the back door that Francis knew about. Okay, that's that's a good theory. I mean, I also thought that she kind of touched on that in the moment. And maybe this was like when you were two to at the end there involved the in the back, greenery but, of Maine. Um, <laughs> so involved in the main greenery that you missed this. But and maybe I, I see your point though. Anyway, I think Catalina asked what was somebody asked what was wrong with them. And Francis basically said that they're like stuck because like no one is controlling them. And so they're just kind of like robots who were like dead weight essentially. But I like very well could be another like Agnes hand of assistance being like, no, you have to come the way by me. That said, Agnes this whole time, the gloom has been providing Noemi with, with visions about the past, about Howard, about the whole shroom situation um, which is what I'm going to call it, and also my new band name. And I think that I don't play any instruments. It's going to be a really shitty band. Shit, I lost my train of thought. Um, right. So she's been like giving her all these visions. I find it odd that she wouldn't have just been like, "Here's this vision of exactly where to find me right now. Come, come get me." Like she had no problem showing her visions of like. I mean, I guess she kind of did the preload of like, here's here's this woman giving birth and then getting snuffed out, kind of, sort of, and then buried alive. But it was it was like, not a, here's where I am now. It was like a... True. But also, when remember, she kind of came to her early on, where the woman with the gold eyes and like kind of the gold halo around her, like oh, came to God. her early on in a dream and it scared the fuck out of her. So I think maybe that was Agnes trying to reach out to her. And then she was like, Oh God. And she was like, okay, I'm too much. I'm too much. We'll, we'll bring you somebody else. Thing, like, in the graveyard in the mist. I mean, that was like, not quite as obvious because I don't think Noemi ever really figured out what that was, but that was probably right near or soon after she saw the statue of Agnes, I thought, or around then. Maybe not. Anyway, this is like more in-depth thoughts about this book than I had while I was reading it. <laughs> Definitely talking about it has helped me kind of like dig a little deeper into the m- mushroom gloom. Absolutely same. The gloom, the shroom gloom. The mush gloom. Ew. <laughs> that just sounds gross. Well, I know, but that's what it is. <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, yeah, no, I will say this is definitely helping me a little bit. Kind of, I don't know, maybe there was more here, maybe not. I love this about our show is we get talking and we start bouncing off ideas off each other. We're <laughs> like, this is definitely what they thought. And meanwhile, the author is probably like, that. it's nothing. Like, you two are freaking drunk idiots. This is not what I thought at all. I had made a note about Ruth being a badass. And I just want to bring up that she was not necessarily a strong female lead, but she was a strong female. And I have mad respect for her, especially because she was like a full on Doyle, right? I mean, I don't think her parentage was anything other than Doyle. And so it was impressive to me that she was so against the grain. I guess like, and would this be a previous generation or not? like maybe every generation there's like a black sheep like her and Francis somebody who maybe not that they have a lesser connection with the gloom but that they 
see that that there's more to it or they're not as freaking racist douchey i don't know so ruth was directly connected she was howard's daughter she is virgil's sister and then florence okay but much older sister right yes so when she does the murdering virgil is like a baby um so okay i thought wasn't even born yet no that wouldn't make sense because alice is his mom so she'd he'd have to have been a baby yeah, and I yeah. think Alice dies in childbirth with Virgil, maybe. I'm not you sure. You know, oh, wait, I thought, okay, I just am going to point out, incest is really complicated. <laughs> it is, it is. That's another reason not to do it, man. It's so complicated to keep track of who's what. <laughs> yeah, there's a multitude of reasons, but one of them is it's too complicated. <laughs> yeah. That was something that I really struggled oh, with in this book. I was just like, I don't want to read about this anymore. This is just too much. I don't. Ugh, no, thank you. Yeah, it didn't. Um, it didn't endear me to the colonizer at all. And I thought it was a very apt description of probably how indigenous peoples would have felt <laughs> these freaking incestuous people coming in and doing their weird shit. Again, he, you know, bringing the soil from England and, you know, claiming the pure bloodlines and all that. Like, yeah, they were definitely um, hardcore frigging colonists that can fuck right off. So as this is continuing to happen around Noemi and more and more stuff is kind of going wrong or becoming curiouser and curiouser. Uh, what did you make of her decision to stay where constantly she was like, I'm staying. I need to stay. Even when Francis is begging her to leave. Uh, what did you make of that decision? And how did you feel she handled the things that were happening in the house around her? So my first thought was you're a dumb, dumb idiot. Get GTFO because shit is not cool there. I get that she and her cousin also, could we just talk about Catalina wine mixer, please? Um, which is what I've been thinking the whole time whenever we say Catalina. I get that her and Catalina were close. And I think that that's really sweet that she was like, no, I must stay for Catalina. And like, this is really important. And I love the whole like familial connection. Not to mention that if she like came home empty handed, so to speak, she wouldn't get what she wanted from her dad, which totally is a reason to keep doing things too. But I don't know, man. Like when you started sleepwalking and when things got rapey or even like, I don't know. There were quite a few times when I was like, this Virgil guy is enough reason alone to get out. Also, Florence's whole attitude, everything, everything was reason to leave and to bring in the big guns. Like, I don't know, an army or her dad or her <laughs> or her dad with an army. I mean, I just there were it was a lot of like red flags. I feel like it would have been a meme of just like list all the things and every single thing is a red flag and I it was a little frustrating especially when she started to get some real information from Francis like he was starting to open up a little bit about the Doyles and about I mean maybe not so much about the gloom but kind of like when they were betrothed and stuff and she like he really gave her the the rundown and she was still like I mean of course at that point it was a little too late but like he had tried to warn you before also 
I get that he's like kind of not a weakling, but like he know Virgil. And he certainly wouldn't like manhandle her and like get her out. But like you can drive the car. You should have just been like, I'm taking you and you're leaving. Yeah, it was frustrating. So it was frustrating for me a lot of the times as I'm sitting there going, like, you need to get out. Like how <laughs> I wonder, I was trying to put this in the get to know your podcaster moment question too where I just didn't know how to phrase it without giving away spoilers. If you hear people yelling kitty, apparently one of the dogs is missing right now. So that's what's happening in Maine. Oh no. And she like, this happened earlier and she was like laying in the corner, like 20 feet away from us, just not answering I was going to say, this is like her space too. Like she's, she's not going to like totally disappear. Yeah. Well, so... she's probably rolling in like dead fish bodies or something. Of course. So in case that piques your interest, folks, that's what's happening behind the scenes. But with her, what, and I wanted to ask this question, but I didn't know how to word it without spoilers. Like she talks about how her brother always said how much of a pig she was at breakfast, but she's like, I haven't eaten breakfast in like two days. And she talks about how like much she loves smoking cigarettes and how important, not important, but like how that is a thing she does and things she enjoys. And she's like, I haven't had a cigarette in like three days. And like, there were so many of those things that we see in this trope with this horror trope where it's like, obviously something's changing. I'm sleepwalking. I haven't slept well since I was a kid. It's like, let's talk about what's changed in your life the last couple of weeks. Well, you went to this haunted mold house. That's what changed. So you need to get out of the haunted mold house. And I don't know what else you can like notice that tells you to do that. Also, also, if you're gonna like, if you end up in a place that is massively gross, moldy, damn creepy, inhabited by a bunch of really hostile fucktards, don't eat or drink anything they give you. They're obviously poisoning it. Oh, and that was something too. Actually, Make your own food. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I don't think that was a choice for her, but she definitely should have just went and stayed in the village or gone or just left. Just leave. Just leave. That was something that I wanted to talk about that I made this connection and I'm not sure if it is the connection or not, but they talk about the wine they drink and how fucking gross it is and how sicky sweet it is, right? And then when they talk about how Howard smells and when he puts his mouth on hers and that liquid comes out and it's the sickly sweet liquid, were they just like popping postules and drinking that as wine? Because that's what I thought. Probably. Did you I get- also assumed that that was like how... I, I assumed that the like whatever kind of poison was being given to her in her food or drink or whatever came forward. Yeah, so like maybe they just had put mushrooms in the wine instead or whatever. Right. So I assumed that like the the mushroom like the house was poisoning her with mushroom spores and like just the freaking damp environment. But then I figured like whatever it was that she was ingesting like during a meal, the wine because they kept bringing up how sweet it was and how like it made her I felt like every time she was in a situation with Virgil and he like offered her a drink she would have like one sip and be like it's like I just drank a whole bottle of champagne another red flag you've been pustule roofied but that's that's what I felt like it was something physically from Howard's gross pussy body that they were actually poisoning her with 
Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I was going with the wine. They definitely like, they talk about it once Francis is completely on her side and he's bringing her breakfast up to her. He's like pointing to the things that they poisoned with mushroom. You know, it's like, Oh, you can eat the egg. Like it's impossible for us to get mushroom in the egg somehow, but everything else is garbage. Like don't even drink the tea. The tea is just mushroom tea. So there's definitely, they were poisoning her with the mushroom on that. It was just, that was something that popped in my head where I was, I was like, I wonder if this was even more disgusting and we just didn't get that full picture or what, but it was upsetting. Totally it was upsetting to have all those things kind of flashing in your face and be like, you should leave. You have changed so much. So like that was going to be my get to know your podcaster question was what would it be that changed in you? That would be a red flag that the house is haunted and taking control of you. What do you, what do you think it would be? And I'll go first. It would be if I stopped talking a hundred percent, like regardless of the rules <laughs> to be quiet, if there was like, Cause that's how, you know, I'm drunk. If I'm drunk or uh, high, you'll know because I'm quiet. So if I'm suddenly not talking, <laughs> if it's been like eight hours and Russ has been silent, his body is now haunted. You need to get him out of this house. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, what would mine be? I'd say probably if I like, didn't want to have a snack. <laughs> I didn't want snacks. <laughs> Tasha it's um, been three days since you had a snack oh no yeah there's Barry and I joke often there's the TikTok thing like I don't want to alarm anyone but it's been 20 minutes since I've had a snack and that's very much how I feel about my life but I don't know I'm not sure that there's anything that like would be a total red flag I don't it know it would be if, it would be if you stopped caring about Bryce. That would be oh. it. <laughs> be it Bryce who? Yeah, that would definitely. Oh my be God! It. Get her away from here. Yeah, she's not right in the head. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that'd be. I, I didn't know how to yeah. do that outside of spoilers without giving it away, but I just thought that would be interesting. Um, <laughs> the last thing I I wanted to bring up about Noemi and her situation was I think I touched on this before. I don't think we talked about it in the show itself. But her like insta lust for uh, Virgil, where he is incredibly rapey and he is rapey through the gloom because he knows he can use that gloom, which is like her when she dreams, but he is also connected to it to like get into her dreams and make them nightmares and be super rapey and then be like, oh, you, you didn't seem to mind in your dreams. And then like... Oh. And she would be like, I hate you. I hate you. I hate everything that you're doing. But also he touched my neck and what a desire. I feel like I can't 100% get behind the idea that Noemi had anything to do with the desire feelings. I mean, he kept being like, oh, all the power that I have over you is just like bringing your natural whatever to light. Bullshit. I mean, like there were many times when they had interactions where she was like, I wanted to pick up the knife and I couldn't move. So I feel like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there in terms of him being able to manipulate or control or whatever that are so beyond what may or may not be lurking under the surface. That said, at maximum, he would be able to play on the fact that he's attractive and she's a red-blooded woman who recognizes an attractive man. There were so many moments where she was like, this guy is so vile. 
but he's still a really good looking man. Yeah, that was just something that kept bothering me because I do get that and I do get that base knowledge and I do get that there is the tweaking of the mushrooms that can affect how you feel or what you're doing. And obviously Virgil has a lot of experience with that because he is a giant piece of shit. This is not his first rodeo, but it just really frustrated me reading that, I guess is a good way of putting it, where I just kept being like, I don't like this part. I'm done reading this part. I don't like how you're yeah. flip-flopping so much on Virgil, regardless of it's just to show the sway of the house. I don't need it anymore. Virgil's a piece of shit. Stop flip-flopping on him and stab yeah. him in the eyeballs. Oh my gosh. The moment when he like comes in after her and uh, Francis's wedding and tr like tries to rape her and she manages to like push him down and he hits his head. I was like, do more. Cut his head off. Cut all of his things up do something more why did you just leave him in there that was dumb do all the killing he will come back for you do all the killing all of it it's a great tackling how much killing all the killing do all the killing all of it all the killing so on that note we'll get into kind of the big final standoff what did you make of their harrowing escape of high place and how that all worked out we touched on a few things but uh did obviously again it's always funny when we talk about these fantasy books or whatever fiction books and we're like did you believe it but you know given given the frame of what we're reading did you find the escape believable compared to what else we had read in the book i think we kind of touched on this before we started recording i think the thing that kind of struck me the most was that the majority of the book was like building up to learning about just how fucked up the situation was and then the like tiny little bit of the climactic ending basically where they escape was so quick and it was a little a little feisty in in that all of the pieces of the puzzle came together. There didn't really feel... Actually, I'm going to take a little bit of that back. I didn't necessarily expect Virgil... No, I did. Virgil will show up when he did because she didn't finish him off first. But what I didn't expect was Catalina to be the one to kill him all, all of the killings. And I thought that was like very apropos and I appreciated it because in my mind, Catalina up to this point was catatonic, like for most of the book or, you know, not necessarily, I know, right. Not necessarily catatonic, but just so vacant and like not really a character. She was kind of like um, a little bit reminiscent of Niles's wife from Frasier, who you like hear about all the time, but you never actually see it felt a little bit like that where it, I mean, like, obviously you do hear from Catalina, you do see her, but she just felt like a character that we didn't fully know because all that we knew of her was like under the influence of mushroom Catalina. So it was nice to see her like be able to get some in terms of killing her douchey husband. So that was kind of cool and not necessarily, I would have expected I don't know, him to just die when they killed the whole mushroom Agnes situation. I don't know. I also very much appreciated that everything burnt down, burn it down, burn it, burn it all. So I will say to me, like, I'm, I'm going to be a little harder on this book, especially in grading, because I was telling, I was talking to Amanda about it. She's like, I don't think that's something I'd be interested in. And this is when I was about halfway through and I was like explaining to her, I was like, no, it's a really interesting like time period Gothic piece. 
There's a lot of that mystery surrounding it. There's a lot of like, what else is happening here? It's not just your strict mystery thriller. There's like the horror aspect as well. And you're trying to kind of piece everything together. And this was when we were driving six hours to Maine. So I had plenty of time to like, you know, think of where, how I would piece things together and how I would end it. And I'm not an author, not to brag, but like I hit a lot of these things, like even before I knew, you know, cause Ruth comes to Naomi later and it's like, I did it wrong. I failed. I tried to kill Howard. I yeah. shot him. It was the wrong way to do it. He was able to heal. And then he was able to make me kill myself before I could finish the job. I was wrong. And I'm like, you're going to have to use fire. Like you're going to have to use fire. And then what do they do? They use fire knowing that like, I was like, Catalina is going to play a big part in this because people underestimate her. And then you're reading it and you're reading the scene in Howard's room where they're trying to like force. That's another thing we didn't even touch on. Francis is in the room because they're trying to force Howard into Francis now instead of Virgil. Um, and that's what is getting Naomi Which to be like the plan all along. Right. But don't tell Naomi that because obviously Virgil's the worst and Howard's even worser somehow. And you don't want to be married to that. But, but they're they're dealing with all this stuff around them and Catalina is just getting closer and closer with the scalpel, you know, and, or whatever. I didn't even know she had anything in her hand as far as the scalpel. I kind of assumed she had picked up the knife or something like that. But I was like, she's going to stab him. She found hell. the doctor's scalpel was right nearby. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I know, like, I, I felt like she had to have a better or a bigger part in this story, too, because otherwise she would just be like the not really responsive and every once in a while she's selling the bullshit of high place like everything's great and i'm lovely today is a good day you know she had to have more of her vengeance yeah. in it as well so that that kind of bummed me out as i was reading it again quite high but i was putting it enough together because i had to read it quite a few times to get it through my thick skull but yeah. i was like this feels like and I had to convince myself afterwards. I was like, Did, is that just how my brain thought it was going to happen? Or is that how it actually happened? I was like, no, that's how it actually happened. And that kind of took away a bit from me, from the book, that it was that kind of mm. predictable. That that kind of made me sad. Again, yeah. being like, oh, we have oil lamps. Why do we have oil lamps, Taja, to start fires? Like, sure, you clean it up nicely with like electricity is hard to come by. But why do we have oil lamps? Because they start fires. I did, though, really appreciate the sort of like, not so feistian or maybe not not that it's not feistian or that it's like the potential for like not a clean resolution in that once they escape and they're in town and they're with the doctor good doctor and francis finally wakes up and he and noemi are talking about what happened and he's basically like throwing science in her face like this is why i'm scared is because like there are mushrooms that thrive on fire and like this could be catastrophic like yeah we think we dealt with it but what if we didn't what if we made it worse and i just like really appreciated that he was the i mean it makes sense because he's the one that's literally been living there and in it and i've been calling it in my notes the gloom shroom that uh that he is the one that is most concerned that they've not actually taken care of it because he, I think, has a better understanding of just how much grasp or, you know what I mean, how much control it had over people and situation. Like, what if it's, what if it comes back? Ooh. 
And this kind of plays with my last question, which was, do you think it's fair that Francis survived? Because we see as she's putting bullets into Howard, the doctor who is like even he is a Doyle by connection, but he's been exposed to the mushroom. He's like on the ground writhing. You have um, the servants writhing because of that or they get lost control of Florence is freaking out like and, and, and Francis is, too. They have to like carry Francis a lot of the way and then he kind of comes and goes. But do you think it's fair that they burn this house that you like so i touched on this in spoilers nomi tries to escape and the mushrooms in her body convince her she can't breathe so she makes it like 10 feet outside the house before she's like choking to death and where virgil picks her up like a child and brings her back to the house francis the house is burning down the mushrooms are burning down and francis takes like a two-day napper and is uh he's like well it might still be inside me but i think i'm okay so was that kind of in line with how I my like immediate trust of Francis is maybe that like sure he's a Doyle and sure the mushrooms have some level of control over him or connection to him or whatever but maybe it's like kind of an opposite scenario of no Emmy how like the mushroom was very attracted or connected to her and like maybe he's kind of the black sheep because he has less of a connection maybe that's why he's not quite so culted into the whole you know he's not drinking the kool-aid as heavily because there's not do you get does that make sense like he's maybe got just yeah a poorer connection and so his ability to survive all of that would be greater than everyone else's more akin to like the the servants who basically were like mushroom zombies or mushroom robots yeah and and when you used to be people while you were saying that it made me think too maybe going back to your idea that agnes was actually helpful maybe agnes let him go that tracks and i i would love to believe that's the case because like not for nothing if noemi was agnes's hero then giving Francis or letting Francis go would be Agnes's like parting gift to like, Noemi. Sorry for the last three weeks. Here's your gift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's been shitty, but thank you. Here's this dude. <laughs> Here's this man. Here's this man that don't worry on the third kiss. It will be for love. You'll be fine. Go on your way. Um, reading oh, it, reading it that way. I thought it was romantic. Like it. I liked it. Of course, you did. Yeah, that the, that that kiss, that kiss was for love. Bin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, talking it out, that kind of idea, I actually like it a little better. Again, it wasn't really thrown. Uh, it sold to us that way, but. Uh, maybe Agnes had more control than we're giving her credit for. I don't know. I'll, I'll like the book better thinking of it that way. I mean, I definitely feel like Francis's character. I mean, and, and again, it's sort of like it would track for me that there would be some odd duck, so to speak, in the Doyle lineage every now and then. Francis's makes more sense to me than Ruth's does because Ruth was like a straight up Doyle, but Francis's dad was an outsider. Um, so it would make sense to me that his connection already would have been lesser. And he also saw how it treated his dad. His dad tried to escape and basically, yeah. you know, the the house had him jump into a ravine and kill himself. So it, it is interesting. Right. Maybe, yeah, that has has 
kept his connection less or maybe endeared him to Agnes as it's not his fault. He's not perpetuating this as Florence and Virgil and Howard are. He's trying to like actually save people and, and get rid of this monstrosity of a, of a building. And I, I would like to think too, that like, if it's a symbiotic relationship type thing that Agnes and the gloom have um, the ability to like see inside of the people that they're connected with. Right. Like, Virgil and Howard are alike in their complete and utter douchey, murderous, racist, misogynistic situation who are totally willing to like literally eat babies. Whereas Francis is like, maybe that's not, maybe don't treat, maybe, maybe not. Let, let's not. Yeah, I agree. And that is something we didn't even touch on the fact that in her visions, she sees that like, <laughs> moment where they like they have a baby and then they kill the baby and then they eat the baby and then they push the mother into a pit to feed the the mushroom the mushroom of life it's like there's so much that we're just like skimming over here to to make you hate glossing over because how do you talk about like mild cannibalism just casual cannibalism if you reach this point and you still like the doyles you're wrong you're wrong. You listened incorrectly. Yeah, I mean, nobody Delete, re-download and and listen again. You'll be fine. Yeah. So yeah. I I do like I said like always. It seems like we talk these books out and some things pop up and this this is warming me a little bit more to this book than I thought. And I don't know. It's always funny because I don't know if that was the <laughs> author's interpretation or not. You know. So, but I did enjoy that. The one thing that I I struggled with with Francis is he was like twenty five. And to me, I pictured him as like a 14-year-old lovesick boy. <laughs> oh, really? Well, and it's not his fault, but like he never leaves a uh, high place. He like has never had a crush or anything like that. Like he's so awkward around Naomi. She talks about how like she, I'm almost torturing him by flirting with him because he doesn't even understand what I'm doing. And like I do, I picture him as like little 14-year-old kicking his boots like, she's cute and this is my first crush. Oh, no. I but, totally pictured him as like an older dude. And that's what just made it like so much more awkward is that like he has had, he has been so extremely like sheltered in this shroom cult that he has no clue what anything's about, but he still manages to be a freaking shining light, this little gem in a nasty damp shroom garden who has like learned Spanish on his own is an amazing artist, is interested in like traveling the world. I just, I love him. Nice. And it shows you that beauty is beyond the surface. Don't fall yes. for the handsome one. Fall for the funny guy with that can't grow facial hair standing right in front of you this whole time. Uh, <laughs> what? I don't even know what we're talking what? about. I wonder, I don't, they didn't say it if he wears glasses or not, but I wonder if they tried taking his glasses off. That seems to always work in the movies. So all you got to do, he's take the glasses attracted. off, coif the hair, yeah. and he's good. He's good to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was all I had. I don't know if you have any other additional spoilers you wanted to touch on. It, it seems like we we're a little brief with the ending, but the ending really seemed brief. Like It again, was brief. I was yeah, in an altered was state of mind. Uh, but I still felt like I was like a little bit of uh, feisty and frost trolls where I was like, wait, where did this troll come from? Like, how did we, did we just jump ahead? No. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. I guess that's where we are. Uh, that happened like five or 10 times. It was bad. <laughs> nice. You know, that's, that's, uh, it's a little distracting for yeah. getting through the, the narrative there. 
mind altering. I um, I just, yeah, yeah, which is actually kind of accurate state to be reading a mush a mushroom horror book. I mean, it would be better if you'd actually like eaten some mushrooms, but <laughs> next time, next or time, or more apropos. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, so on that note, we got nothing else to touch down. So we are going to move out of spoilers. Moving out of spoilers, we now have to give this book a grade. If you are new to the show, sorry for the quality of the audio, but thanks for sticking around this long. So our our scoring is a D&D based scoring. It is based on a D20. One is bad, 20 is good. And then we will add or subtract um points to the book based on a modifier of our choice from the lovely game dungeons and dragons so i've been making you go first a lot lately so i will go first this time because i think we might be a little different on this we'll see i'm gonna give this book a nine so i thought it had a lot of good stuff to begin with i was very into it and then like i said i had a very long drive to kind of think about it as i was halfway through and i kind of plotted out how i would see it through and then for a good amount of those to hit was kind of a bummer because the second swag coming sometime soon, not an author. Like I don't want to be able to predict how this book is going to go, you know, and, and to be able to do that, I feel like kind of takes away from it. So that did kind of ruin my enjoyment of it. And also like we touched on briefly, like it seemed like there was a ton of buildup, a ton of suspense, a ton of what's actually happening here. And then the explanations were really quick um and she did it different ways to her credit mm-hmm. with like some of them being envisioned some of them being from the village people not the band telling her what was going on and stuff like that <laughs> so i did appreciate that it wasn't just like an info dump from francis but he did like clean up things for us but it still just was a lot of stuff that i kind of expected at that point and that took away some enjoyment for it i will say to give it some credit i'm going to give it a plus 2 for deception uh because even though i don't think they were always good at it at high place i think there was a lot of deception happening here obviously as noemi eventually figures out why she's really there uh and what they have planned for her which is terrible terrible things so don't go to rotting old gothic houses people just just don't do it stay at stay at a different hotel or something or just take a train back home take the train back home but uh anyway so for me that's a nine plus two for eleven i do consider this kind of middle of the range book for me all right, all right. Okay, so I am gonna give it a straight roll of twelve. I thought it was really fun. I like to be surprised by things, but I also find it satisfying, especially in these kinds of scenarios where I can predict some stuff or where I have called things correctly. So a couple of things that I did towards the end, um, like with Agnes being the mother and that stuff. I mean, like I didn't get it quite exactly right you know in terms of her being the brain but I knew she was like involved somehow I also like didn't necessarily starting out reading the book I did not think it was gonna go in the direction of mushrooms and a spore home I did not think that that was where it was gonna take me so that I think like right out of the gate because you do find out early-ish on but like at the beginning it's kind of like the most house full of vampires like what's going on here and so I appreciated it was something completely left field that like was not at all that I was expecting again like we said before the gothic trope is something that I'm familiar enough with maybe like that would have been obvious to me had I had more experience with that genre 
But uh, I think that's kind of what appealed to me. And I also appreciated how it was kind of, and this is probably a gothic thing too, how it's like a creepy romance, which like, cool. And it's not heavily romantic. Like there were definitely lots of moments where I was totally disgusted and angry in terms of like rapey and stuff. But that I think just really gave it a lot more weight. I'm going to give it a plus four for nature because holy crap, all of that like science and I guess, I don't think you'd call it botany. What is mushroomology? (laughs) That's not a thing. Fungology. (laughs) Um, There is a word. So our fans should tell me what that is. I don't know it. Could look it up, but I'm my internet has kicked us off this Zoom meeting twice, so I'm not going to try to look it up while we're doing this. I think that that whole like n- the nature aspect is just really fascinating to me. How it touched on sort of like indigenous culture and indigenous land where they were in Mexico was super cool because the mushroom is from there, and that that Francis was such a naturalist. Um, and so interested in that was really fascinating. And just the conceptually how like a house really is like a living thing because it is infected with this mushroom. And it's like this huge, cause I know that there are mushrooms that exist where like you might see a little thing up out of the ground, but underneath it's like this huge, massive network. And that is bonkers. Um, and I just appreciate that she kind of used something that is a real thing. <laughs> and drew this really wild and crazy, scary story around a real thing in air quotes, because hopefully this mushroom and the Doyles don't exist IRL. So that's a total 16 for me. So yeah, we were a little different. That's completely fair in all your reasoning i will say i kind of pictured that you would be around at 12 or 13 for this book i will say the plus four i was not expecting so yeah we are a little bit off this may be one of and our i just have to say that i it gave, i got a <laughs> my character sheet that i usually go off of has a plus six for nature so i i decreased it a little bit but i think that the plus four is just so valid because it was like it was really valid very realistic in terms of like this is like a total spinoff of a thing that like untapped glacial, not glacial, iceberg level stuff where like you only see a little bit of it, but like shit is crazy. And I appreciated that. And that's fair. Complete. I'm not judging. I would never judge another uh, podcaster's <laughs> score, d d <laughs> score. I would never. I promise I would never. I swear that's not never. what I was getting at. Never. Never. But I do think that maybe we'll put us at our biggest difference in a while for, as far as the book is concerned, which that's okay. Uh, that is why we talk about it. That's why we figured out. I will say before, I was thinking about giving it an eight and our kind of talk about Agnes pushed it up to a nine for me. So All right. All right, Agnes. Power to you. All right, Agnes. I will say one last thing on this. I, have you ever seen the movie Crimson? I believe it's Crimson Peaks um, with Tom Hiddleston. I've Huddleston. heard of it. I've not... You should, you should check it out. There's a lot of Crimson Peaks. I think that's the right it, title. Isn't uh, it vibes. a horror? Isn't it like a it's straight It's like this. Movie? It's a gothic. It's a gothic oh, story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So like even the place you go is kind of the whole um, uh, courtship situation that happens. And then some of the secrets that are revealed. It's, it's, it, there's no mushrooms. 
sorry to get oh. your hopes up but it does it gave me a lot of vibes of this book uh so that was another all thing right, as well right. as galant because i like bringing it back to something we've read that our listeners have listened to us talk about ad nauseum um about <laughs> in the past as well too so that is it. That's our score. We have an 11 from me, a 16 from Taja, and we are going to move away from this book and finish off with our segments of this most mostly bumpy show. So thanks for sticking around. If you are still here, we always appreciate you. We are going to start with current selection. Taja, what have you been uh, getting into in these last couple of weeks, which we've been doing a lot of camping and not a lot of reading. So, Yeah, I mean, considering I just finished Mexican Gothic this morning, I have not really read many other things. Um, I did start The Atlas Six for real this time. So I know I said I was reading it last time, but then I stopped because we read Mexican Gothic. And so now I'm really reading this. And then I also just started listening to Cloud Cuckoo Land. Cuckoo Land. It's by the person who wrote the one you the terrible explanation it's by the author of all the light we cannot see oh anthony door yeah so it's cloud cuckoo land and it is i want to say like a fantasy type thing i'm literally like eight minutes in nice. so who knows it could be anything still for sure um, could be anything could be but all the light we cannot see was super great anthony door his writing is uh, that was very grabbing at least for me i know some people have struggled with that book not our friends but others i've seen on the internet but i would be interested to see what else uh he has done because it was definitely an author that brought interest to me so I, i'm excited to hear how you like that book yeah all the light you cannot see is on my tbr but my tbr is very 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 big. very very big um for me i read I only read two books this time. Sorry to let everyone down. Um, I read, Rec- I know I read Requiem, which was the fourth book in the book of Isaacs or the Psalm of Isaacs by Ken Scholes. I've talked about it before. And unfortunately with every book I read in that series, the less I actually like the series. And it just seems like it's oh, getting man. way too mystical. Whereas before it was kind of more like mazes and kind of like espionage and stuff like that and spiritual for sure. But now it's just kind of like, we took a hard right probably in the end of book two and we just kept going right uh and i'm not saying politically i'm just saying like that's just we just kind of gone off course from where i thought the meme of the car going off the exit ramp yeah the the car is burning to the to the wrong exit ramp there um so there's five books in the series i will pick up book well I'll, i'll i'll read book five um but i'm not gonna uh that's not gonna be one I recommend to people so and, that, it. and that was kind of like what was in the air but it's kind of it's one of those situations I put in four books at this point like I need to know how it ends and hopefully it pulls itself back around but I really didn't enjoy this one which was a kind of a bummer for me and it's like anything you put that much time into those characters and those characters stick around and when they don't build the way you want them to or think they should or you think the story's kind of going weird ways it's kind of a bummer looking at you jamie lannister from game of thrones show yes looking at you looking at you how could you do that to brienne of tarth you piece of shit how could you do that to your own character growth i'm so disappointed just all over four years of character growth in a matter of an episode yep Yep. 
But we digress. Uh, the other book I read was the newest from our favorite uh, Feisty and Bo creator, Raymond E. Feist. It was The Master of Furies. It was book three of the Firemane Saga. Firemane Saga I was super excited about because it was kind of my first experience with him world building something new. It seems like he gets... A lot of his writing takes place in Midkemia or Kelowan, mm -hmm. which were the two worlds he created right off the bat with his Magician series. And I was super pumped to see a different world, see different kind of um, growing there and different kind of ideas and stuff like that. This book takes a turn in it as well. I still enjoyed it. I think if there's a continuation of this story, I may not like it. We'll mm. see how it goes. There was definitely a separation of groups at the end of this book that if we just have that one group that we kind of left behind if we don't continue their story i will be pretty bummed uh so uh -huh. he has said that it's potentially not the end of the story i don't know what his plans are but it just seemed like we kind of went away that i i would have rather we didn't uh, but it was good the trilogy was enjoyable like I said, I like the characters and it was nice to see something other than Midkemia from him because I feel like I got a little bogged down with a lot of his Midkemia stuff as I was trying to mm. read it and hand it out to other a people. Lot. Part of my, yeah. I mean, my own fault trying to read somebody's life work in like two years. But uh, yeah, so we'll we'll see where that goes. I will say it was an autographed copy, shout out me. And I was completely bummed with the autograph. Like if you're going to do autograph copies, at least give it a little bit of flair with your autograph, you know, like... This is this like some is, letters, like some letters. Yeah. So uh, if I ever become an author, I swear I'll try to keep some letters in my autograph. I think that's fair. As far as what's up next, right. I don't I don't I have no idea what's up next. My TBR now that we're back home is like 50 something again. So we'll see what we get into, uh, which will definitely include the next book for our next podcast. But before we get to that, Taja has our random recommendation. And what are we thinking this week? OK, so the random rec this week is a book all y'all are going to be familiar with, uh, but perhaps not all y'all have read it. It is Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. That was amazing. I love that. Uh, there is no uh, music in the book, but probably you've seen the movie because it's great. But the book is like, really 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 awesome i read it like not that many years ago and i've obviously seen the movie years and years ago and seen it multiple times it's also a neat book because it's very closely aligned with the movie in like a satisfying way but also has a couple of differences that are also very satisfying like for example the lawyer uh in the movie who gets like eaten on the toilet is like a total badass in the book. And there's other things, but it's a really good book. Michael Crichton obviously is an amazing author and it's just like a gripping quick read. And if you enjoyed the movie, which like, fuck you if you didn't, you should read the book. Hold on to your That butts. was harsh. Nope. That was harsh. That was If harsh. you enjoyed the movie, which you're not as cool as people who enjoy the movie, then you should i don't even know where i was going but you should cut all that out of the I, will cut, I will cut that because you said if you enjoyed the movie which is maybe some of you did enjoy the movie enjoy the movie enjoy yeah the movie. i screwed it up 
Yeah, I was we'll like get... halfway through it and was like, this is all wrong. Yeah, no, I appreciate just telling our listeners to go fuck themselves. So you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's quality podcasting right there. Quality podcasting. So check out Jurassic Park. Maybe don't go fuck yourself. It's up to you, whichever one you want to do. But that is our random recommendation this week. I will say in a moment of honesty, I have actually not read the book. My brother was huge into Michael Creighton. It's so good. So that may be something I steal from you at some point. Because like I did read like The Andromeda Strain, Fear. Uh, I feel like that was mid-90s glory. Mm -hmm. It was all Michael Creighton. And then all of them became movies. But Jurassic Park was not one that I checked out. Yeah, and I think it's probably a lot of people haven't. I hadn't, you know, until relatively recently, because the movie is just so good. It's sort of like, why bother? And we're of the proper generation to have the movie right in our faces rather than the book right in our faces. But you should read it. It's so good. I will definitely lend it to you. Nice. That will be something I check out at some point. So that is your random recommendation. Again, is Jurassic Park by Michael Creighton. Also, Jurassic Park by Steven Spielberg. Check out the movie. Not the new one. Nobody cares about those. That was Spielberg, right? I don't want to get all our movie references wrong over and over again. I don't know. I think it was. We don't trust anything we say anymore. No. Also, you're pronouncing his name weird. Steven Spielberg? Say no, Michael. Michael Crichton? How are you saying... Yeah, okay, maybe it's just the audio was coming through weird. I was like, why are you saying Crichton like that? Also, it was Steven it's Spielberg. like John Crichton. John Crichton. John Crichton awesome. of Earth? Yeah, it's Steven Spielberg. Oh, Steven Spielberg. It's what we call him in our house. Nice. Yeah. Okay, folks, it's officially gone off the rails, which means it's time to wrap it up. So... On the next episode, we are excited to try another plague from a similar author. So um, this is the newest from Emily St. John Mandel. It is Sea of Tranquility. So we are excited to bring that to you. It was on Barack Obama's Books of 2022, which Taja obviously love, love, loves. Uh, But in case you didn't know what this was about, because... We didn't. Honestly, Barack Obama told us to read it, so we're going to. This is a novel of art, time, love, and plague that takes the reader from Vancouver Island in 1912 to a dark colony on the moon 300 years later, unfurling a story of humanity across centuries and space. Something to look forward to. I just need to do that after every book I know. I feel like we do that every every jacket after every little thing that we read. But uh, we really love Station Eleven. If you don't know Emily St. John Mandel, check out Station Eleven. Uh, that was awesome. We did a show so on it. Good. You can listen to it a few, whatever, go back in our things. But for everybody else who stuck around this long, as always, we appreciate you. Here's a late shout out to our friend Charlie, who we recently learned actually listens to the show. So Charlie, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it bringing back an old, old segment that we don't do anymore. Uh, but uh, shout out to you, man. We what? appreciate it. I didn't know he listened. Yeah. That's so I just learned it at camp. So for everyone else and for all of you, thank you for checking us out. Thank you for listening. Swag coming soon. But for now, this has been yeah, a very choppy version of the ABC pod, the adult book club with Taja and Russell. Keep reading.